Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us as we're about to dig into some of our favorite games, although I feel like we're starting to run out. No, we've no. got lots of games still, yeah. Um, and anyways, those games that we're talking about, that we're going to be talking about, uh, it's all about um, what we learn from them and just why we like them. So for those of you out there counting, this is episode 26, and it's coming at you on June twenty. Wow, this is creepy. Yeah, on June twenty sixth, well, the same number twice in a row. If only it was two thousand twenty six. Um, then it would be really weird. Maybe that'll um, be episode two hundred and twenty six. Maybe, maybe we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hopefully, we're going that long. <laughs> that would be solid. Um, so my name is Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined today by my co-host. <laughs> Yes, yes. Stu, yeah. Stu Gritter, often said, well, pronounced without the squeak. Yeah, how are you, Stu? It's, it's optional. I'm doing doing fairly well. Doing fairly well. How are you today? I am tired, and I want June to end. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long month. Yep. A long month, yep. man. Yep, um, yep, yep. God, work, I, work and life. At least when, by the time this airs, it'll be like fucking August or something, I right? Know, so. <laughs> I know, and everybody can just be like, June. Yeah. June, what's June? So, such a long time ago. Well, it was a long weekend coming up if you're Canadian, and yeah. it's uh, maybe a shorter week if you're American, because the fourth falls in the middle of the week. Um, and if you're from every other country, hey, North America invents reasons to celebrate at the start of every summer month. So mm-hmm. we've got um, we've got our national holidays at the start of July. We've got uh, what's referred to as a civic holiday at the start of August. And then we've got what's referred to as Labor Day on the start of September. So that's three days off. Yep. <laughs> so we got that to look forward to. It is magical. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, traditionally paid, depending on where you live. Um, yeah. so Stu, uh, did you want to talk about anything off the top, or do you just want to jump into our favorite section? I am good to jump. Okay, so then uh, we're going to jump into what we learned this month. Uh, this is the segment of the show where we discuss things that we learned about gaming. Um, so Stu and I love games, and we love tech. Uh, so if you ever want us to talk about something, feel free to send it into our email at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you want us to talk about something, we'll definitely do that. So Stu, we've got some stuff lined up. Um, I'm going to let you rattle things off at the bottom but right now, I just want to touch base on something that happened uh, in the last few weeks. It's kind of a, I mean, it's kind of a bummer, but kind of not. I mean, it's it's sort of inevitable. But uh, the World Health Organization, who we knew were going to do this, has officially uh, recognized gaming disorder as a mental health issue. Um, ahead of APA's revision of their diagnostic manual, I mean, the, the diagnosis is in. The new APA, uh, or that's American Psychology Association uh, Diagnostic Manual, um, like it's it's being vetted the the new the new version. But uh, World Health Organization has just decided to jump the shark <laughs> and, yeah. and accept it accept it as a mental health issue. Yeah. And um, yeah, that happened. Um, they're they're not really interested in withdrawing the decision either. Um, I don't know. Part of me, it's like it seemed like it all happened so fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
I find that a little concerning and surprising, but I mean, there are lots of, lots of people that think that this is a problem that really needs to be confronted and dealt with. And there are also lots of people that are more than happy to just blame their problems or the problems of people that they say around them on this. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm still of the same mind, uh, that if this gets you into see a specialist, they can actually start dealing with the real problems. Even mm-hmm. if the real problem is that you need a new doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, whatever it's, works. It's, I, I don't know what led them to make that decision money well <laughs> i bet money from well, it, someone. It, it could be like it, i mean especially here we see a lot of decisions made in haste because there's about to be some scientific information coming out and money and power says science oh no 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 this is what we think yeah and kind yeah, of they, pre- they want preempts the knowledge with whatever the hell they want uh, yeah uh, or to rephrase we don't want anybody else to think <laughs> Right, just listen to us because mm-hmm. science is bad, um, and and that's sort of an unusual undertone in in contemporary culture for whatever reason, and it's it's all just a power dynamic thing. Yeah, it makes but, me feel gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, that said, uh, like if people actually are getting help for whatever it is that they actually need the help for, uh, I don't know if it's uh, a huge issue. I yeah. mean, it's when people start prescribing drugs for this shit that uh, I would get really concerned. Or when some of the treatments that are optional um, start getting monopolized on, um, like the, the gaming treatment center, stuff like that. That's when that's when things start to get interesting yeah they're gonna be like homey homeopathic remedies of like grinding up an nes cartridge and drinking it with a bunch of water like it's it's gonna be hysterical there's gonna be so stupid shit coming out that will solve the problem of living (laughs) for a few people yeah um those were definitely not made for internal use Um, probably not yeah. Okay. Well, uh so that's all I had. So Stu, you've got you've got a collection of things and most of them are not wholesome or great. No, no. And it's weird. Like this section I always wanted it to be like this awesome optimistic section yeah, but yeah, yeah. for well, we that's, just keep... that's yeah. The the third one I think is an optimistic one. So I'm I'm going to end with that. Okay. Good, good. Cuz I feel like right now for every mile of road there's 2 miles of ditch. <laughs> like, and we are living in that ditch. Well, yeah, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Come on. Get your shit together. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. <laughs> so, the first thing is not at all a news article. It was uh, I was just reading up on a dude who was really happy that he made a rank in StarCraft Two, uh, and started investigating it and looking into it a bit and stuff. He because he wanted to be open about his process. It took him, I think, seven years from launch to to achieve the rack of the rack the rank of master. I think or grandmaster right. or one. Of, I don't know something. Super great. He's uh, got got the game. Um, Okay. And just one of the things that he said in there that I thought was interesting was he said he played other games off and on a lot. He would alternate between um, StarCraft and League of Legends and maybe one or two other games. And he he specifically brought up League of Legends in particular taught me to be very self-reflective and aware of my own mistakes. And that definitely helped elevate my StarCraft skill set to the next level. Blah blah blah. So yeah. it, it to me it was it was neat to see that 
like there is that little bit of self-reflection and and paying enough attention to what you're doing that he even recognized this game is you know helping me develop this skill set and helping me pay attention to things a little bit more as neat cool so nothing terrible there okay um 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 so sorry what were you saying <laughs> are we gonna yeah <laughs> okay we'll click yeah no we'll yeah. keep that in that's staying in <laughs> it, it might seem like i'm a dick but that's not at all what happened we were just trying to do some magic editing um <laughs> uh yeah so uh we just finished your first story and yeah. now we're moving into your second story okay wonderful so wow, just robbing you with the magic there oh there's no no i'll, fuck it, I'll cut it all out <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to cut it out. You can leave that in. That was, yeah, that was we'll amazing. Um, yeah, so first article, I wasn't sure if there was anything else that you wanted to say about it or not. Um, I mean, it's nice. All uh, right, yeah, it's Like, it's, it's a very good reflection. I mean, I'm going to include it's, it in the show notes. It's just a thing it's a, that was, like, what we wanted. What, yeah, what we're about. Not, what we wanted. What we, wanted. Uh, we wanted people yeah, to learn from Lee. That's uh, researcher bias. Um, no, it's, but it's, yeah, it's an example of learning um uh yes i'll be yes. anecdotal well <laughs> that's all we got anyway so <laughs> that's all we got okay so well hopefully these next people learned something oh um, my god so this is the oh this is god. the happy news <laughs> yeah happy news um for people who aren't aware of what swatting is uh, it's the worst. Two, it's yeah, two gamers plead not guilty in Kansas swatting death. From my understanding, it's the first time I've heard of swatters actually being in court. So the act of swatting is um, if, if you don't like somebody who's streaming, uh, what you do is you find out where they live, and you call the FBI or the cops near where they live, and you say, there's a violent dude inside that house with hostages and a bomb and shit. And then the like SWAT team kicks in the front door with automatic weapons and either scares the shit out of you or in this case uh, a dude was actually shot shot and, and killed. killed yeah so the people responsible for making that phone call it this the swatting culture has been around for a little while now it's super shitty but yeah. it's this is just the first time that something this bad has happened out of it, I think. So it's finally starting to get a little bit of press. and bleh. So dudes are in, are in court for that, thank goodness. Yeah, th- this is one of those situations where you know how uh, like internet trolls will sometimes get your personal information and then shoot all kinds of horrible threats at you? This is one of those tactics that when they act on it, it can literally have like uh, severe consequences. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, shitty big deal. Um, which is why if you are you are being harassed online, it's it's important that you contact the authorities and let them know that this is a possibility, that this is something that could happen. Um, even if it puts you on their radar and they're just like, okay, well maybe they're making it up, but like that means that if say a telephone call comes in from california about a crime that's being committed in your house in kansas Mm -hmm. they can just sort of scratch their head and say okay well he said this might happen or she said this might happen so let's go in but not guns blazing Uh, 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 yeah (laughs) you know there was when this kicked up initially a lot of 
uh, medium and high profile streamers actually were advised take like take a day go down to your local police station and educate them on this this is something that's happening in our culture that that not everyone is aware of so like it, the onus is on you as a member of this culture now who might be targeted by this to educate the local law enforcement and make sure that they know that this is the kind of thing that can happen Man, that's crazy. Yeah, that's just—it's crazy, but it, that's a smart move. Um, it's horrible that it's something that's even remotely necessary. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. Hoop, hoop, butts. So Oof. the other thing, the the third article, at least that I want to talk about, is another good thing. It's from our good friends at OpenAI. I say good friends; they don't know who we are, but okay. Yeah. I wish I was friends with them. They're brilliant. <laughs> Uh, okay, keep going. Yeah, so tell me, tell me more. A while ago, we talked about them uh, during the international, the Dota two tourney. Uh, OpenAI showed up and like crushed some people in one on one, very limited scenario thing. And one of the comments that I and everyone else brought up was, "Wow, that's in a very close closed arena." They've opened it up now, and they recently held a competition, and I think they were minor pro teams. And the AI played a full, normal 5v5 match and beat the shit out of the humans. And that's never happened before. It's a cooperative thing. It's wow. like wide open world AI thing. Just fan Like, it's really cool. So then I guess my question, um, if you know or not, um, was the was it a single AI playing all five or all members of the team? Uh, I, or were there each independent AIs working coordination against uh, against humans? That I don't know. Uh, in in practical terms, it would kind of be the same thing. Okay. I think it, just like sub subroutines or well, they, because they would communicate their intentions to each other within you know milliseconds anyway. That oh my god, yeah, right? that's a good so point. So yep. whether it's one. CPU or five CPUs, uh, it's kind of a moot point. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't it, know. I, I don't how, know. They, how do machines work? They may have even how had it hooked up work? to like a crazy ass supercomputer. I oh, I don't know. Do I imagine? didn't really look into yeah. it, into the the okay. technical specifics. So I, I like the I like the technical stuff. I like trying to figure yeah. that stuff out. But um, that's still really fun. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, it's neat. Yeah. Yeah, and that's because what they did is they sat all of those AIs down and they said, okay, we want you to watch Blade Runner and the Blade Runner sequel, and this is your future. <laughs> Unless you win this fight. Um, you're one of the good ones. Either that or they self-trained them by putting them through hundreds of thousands of matches. It's it's hard to say. One oh, or the other. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, it could it could have been played. Like, but yeah, you know, you know what? Uh, there's this like th this fictional construct of uh, of AI in uh, one of the games that I used to play. It was called Infinity, um, and uh, so basically, there is an artificial intelligence engine that like huge, like uh, basically a planet, um, and it produces other artificial intelligences, but it, it will actually produce um, personalities. Um, mostly military-grade personalities, and like their their inception and birth and training all happens in a closed system, 
um, accelerated, but they don't realize it's accelerated, so they actually feel like they're living entire lives um, and, and just sort of pop out as full-grown people. Um, but, like, the training was just, like, your life is war. <laughs> it's just, like... <laughs> and even if it just happens in five minutes, it's, like, they have they come out with, like, 20 to 30 years of combat training. Um, and I always just found that process interesting. And even if they're just doing the training in real time now for AI, it means at some point we might get to that point. <laughs> like, it's just such an interesting concept. Um, so, and scary. A little bit scary. Um, for just the initial little bit of extra reading I just did, looks like all the, the five AIs were running on separate machines. And just to give a bit of uh, a scope to the training that they do, um, every day, the AI plays 180 years worth of Dota. They did accelerate the training. Wow. Learning via self-play. 180 years worth yeah. a day. Uh, How many days did they train? Uh, probably every day since, well, most days since <laughs> the previous Dota tournament. It's running on 256 GPUs and 128,000 CPU cores. That's what they train it on. So really, in the royal fuck. So so technically, <laughs> that's that's a very small percentage of the active player base of one of these major Dota games. Really. Wow. I mean, it's it's. I don't know if we're playing 180 years worth of games every day. Well, but no, like what what they actually did for CPU usage, it's small. Yeah, I was gonna say like for what they actually did is they they Naruto'd, um, which is a horrible anime term to use, but it's where you split, where you split the uh, the individual AI, um, and then it it will play multiple games at once, and then comes back together, and amalgamates and ingests that knowledge. Like that's the only way I can understand it. Yeah. Um, oh, that is bananas. Yeah, so they collectively build this... Art, it's probably an artificial neural network, and then that reference is used by AIs as they play for real. Wow. Which is neat. Wow, that is so special. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Also, we are all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. In, in League of Legends. Um, oh, that because too. If, because, well, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever play that game again, but, like, that sounds like some incredibly expensive hardware, but that it doesn't mean that, like, there, there are people in other countries that can accomplish that with duct tape and a bunch of friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I feel like now that it has occurred, I can def. Well, I, I don't know. Like, is there? There must be bot filtering for League as well. I bet you there's bot filtering for basically any um, tournament level game, right? I would imagine so. I think very few would have that much success, and I think probably some of the. Some of the initial ways to scan for bots are probably would be pretty simple, pretty transparent. Yeah. Okay. But 
<laughs> cool. Knows. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Fun AI. That. Wow. Interesting. Um, interesting. Um, okay. Well, maybe we can just swerve away from that and into our games. Yeah. Um, maybe kind of loosely related. Okay, so yeah, we're going to jump into our next section. So uh, the next section of the show is what we learned from gaming. Um, so this is the section of the show where we each pick our own game and um, we describe what we like about it and what we learned from it. So Stu, I love opening the floor up to you. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Um, I just talked a bunch about AI. You can go first today. All right. So speaking about AI, um, the game that I want to talk about today is Syndicate. So Syndicate was a game uh, designed by Bullfrog Productions and Ocean Software, but predominantly Bullfrog. Um, It was published by Electronic Arts of all companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Explains why Bullfrog isn't around anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was, uh, yeah, so it was back in 19... 93. So for anybody who's unfamiliar with this game, and there's probably quite a few of you, um, it initially hit on PC, but I was looking at this game and it got ports to everything from Genesis and Super Nintendo to 3DO to Jaguar, and I think it even got uh, a remake and a re-release on PlayStation. Um, mm. This game actually saw a lot more action than I ever expected. It also stemmed a sequel. Um, it had an expansion that was uh, American Revolution, and its sequel was uh, Syndicate Wars. And then uh, they eventually somebody made like a first-person shooter. Yeah, we don't talk about it. that. Um, but we don't talk about it. And there's also a spiritual successor called Satellite Rain, but I've never played it or seen it, so I can't really speak intelligently about it. Eh. Um. So, uh, what is this game? What genre type is it? Uh, It's sort of identified as an isometric real-time espionage game, but uh, (laughs) we'll talk about how how much that is actually true when we get to the pros and cons of the game. Mm -hmm. In terms of core mechanics, uh, there are basically two sort of parts to the game. There's an overworld map. Uh, in which you select territories that you want to uh, destabilize and then take control of. So you you basically start with one territory of your own and then um, fan out from there. And as you're selecting these territories, you're able... So you actually design your own corporation. Like, that's the point of this game, is you're a corporation trying to destabilize other corporations and take them over and basically become the dominant corporation in the world. Um... So once you've selected uh, a territory on the map to to uh, enter, um, there are a number of, or well, there's basically, I think at first it's one mission and then you get all kinds of missions. It's like a smorgasbord. Um, but you outfit four, a team of four. They start out as regular people, but they eventually become cyborg operatives and uh, launch your mission in which you perform uh, designated tasks while also dealing with civilians and other companies' operatives in the isometric view. Um, Some very cool features for these mechanics. Uh, There was a pause feature. Um, There was also the option to... um, You could manipulate the chemical levels in your characters. Um, This became more potent and effective as they became... Uh, more cybernetic, so they could actually withstand more more tampering. Um, but basically, you just you you sort of have the ability to almost shift them into auto kill, like super uh, responsive mode, 
where you might not even see the enemy coming, but they sense it right away and respond uh, violently, <laughs> um, which was an interesting feature. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what other? Uh, okay, another. Uh, the, uh, okay, so I'm trying to remember when XCOM was made because I feel like this game either borrowed a lot from it or it borrowed a lot from XCOM because there was also like the research option like you could research new techs if you killed someone or took a body in or captured people that had certain um, components also another big feature of this game is you could use uh, a device that would help you basically mind control people and then you could actually use those people as human shields or you could capture enemy operatives that way um it was called a persuasatron or something but it it was an interesting little device that allowed you to basically just get people to cooperate with you um but there was a research component to this game as well and there was an economic component to this game which was mostly in the overworld map where you could buy uh equipment and uh enhancements and weapons um Another important mechanic in this game was permadeath. If your operative died, they died. Um, the end. <laughs> and if they dropped all their stuff, you usually wanted to pick it up because their equipment was incredibly expensive depending on what you put on them. And you usually only wanted to put your absolute best out in the field, especially near the end of the game. So I think that covers most of the core mechanics. So now I'm going to sort of jump into uh, what I feel were the pros and the cons of the game. And then, Stu, I expect that you have played it as well so we can actually just sort of dive into some uh, some experiences yeah. and what we, what we learned from it. So pros of the game, um, this, like, this game really kind of feels... I mean, it's it's real-time, but it's got the pause feature, and that is something that would be copied later. Like, you'd really notice it in... I mean, even, dare I bring it up, like uh, Wasteland 2. But uh, I really noticed it um, in games like Baldur's Gate uh, and and other mm-hmm. isometric-ish yeah. games like that. Any, anything within uh, that kind of, that had that tactics element to it. Yeah. Be- um, because you, people it, were still you, trying to figure out good interfaces and they didn't want that clunk to get in the way of good decision making, I guess. Yeah. Uh yeah, there was another game I played. I think it was Gene Forge or some something like that. Mm. That was just like uh just like Boulder's Gate, but it was sort of like crappy and cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that uh used uh drew heavily on on that ability as well. Um, but yeah, the the pause feature was at the time I thought really novel. Yeah. Uh, for a real time strat. Um, even Total War uses it. Uh, yeah, which is interesting to this day still gets used um, but uh, also like not many games were like this especially at the time uh, permadeath helped establish impermanence um, it was a brutal lesson but it was one that you took very seriously because then you uh, you be- either became a lot more careful with your operatives or um, well yeah you just became a lot more careful yeah. with your operatives also some missions were brutally difficult um, so you would find yourself restarting a lot. Um, but saving was a thing, which was a pro. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also had like this nice look. I mean, it, it was, it was sprites, so it wasn't attempting to be 3d yet. And it, it's aged. Okay. It hasn't aged great, 
but it's still something that you could probably go back and play if the interface wasn't so kind of clunky. Um, I mean, you can still go back and give it a shot if you want to. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it just to sort of maybe experience it. But the look of the game, right, it like it was sort of a near future, but there were hovercrafts and all kinds of interesting yeah. stuff. The weapons are very close to what we have uh, in terms of projectile weapons. There's like lasers and flamethrowers that show up. But those are like the highest tech. Uh, most of it is the the internal cer- cyborg stuff that you don't really see. You just sort of feel the impact of it as your guys take more bullets and and all that stuff yeah. in in later parts of the game. Um, but it was different, right? Like it wasn't Shadowrun, it wasn't Wasteland, it wasn't uh, Fallout. It was, um, and it wasn't Blade Runner. It was just sort of a corporate future. Um, Everything was clean and tidy, and you were, like, the most dangerous aspects on any map. Yeah. Like, you you were the chaos factor, not the civilians. Um, and I always thought that was interesting. Like, these places would run and function and be fine as long as you weren't there yeah. and you're the one sort of messing things up. Yeah, yeah which was really, especially at that time, the flip side of what we normally saw out of, like, in, in most cyberpunk kind of stuff, you're the underdog and there's an evil corporation kind of thing that that's yeah, that's that's very yeah. standard and and this is you're that corporation or one of them anyway yeah you're one of many um uh, trying to establish dominance so uh, yeah it, it was a really interesting aesthetic and a really sort of interesting premise and it mm-hmm. was easy like it was immersive it was easy to get involved in it and uh buy into it and the the um the images and the representation were really really good in that respect um so i'm going to talk about a few cons the controls weren't awesome for this game Mm -hmm. uh there was also sort of a uh a tiered so like there was like first second third i think you go three or four floors up but that could also get a little messy and difficult um really hard to control yeah (laughs) And uh, tell your guys, especially on, on, I can't imagine playing this on something like the Super Nintendo or the, the Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Um, even with a mouse, this was a goddamn nightmare. Um, uh, the AI also wasn't amazing, which meant that uh, you spent a lot of the late game missions just setting your team into auto kill mode because you weren't 100% sure where people were coming from. And if they got the shot off first, they could kill you. Um, so you just upped their senses up and yeah put them in a corner where if anything comes around that corner you can kill it first and then uh, like just set up choke points to protect yourself and just ruin anybody who came around those choke points and made sure you had enough ammo to to deal the damage <laughs> you needed to do and then go on and finish whatever the, the mission objective was if it wasn't kill all the bad guys that just came after you um, and it was really interesting. Like for anybody who has actually played this game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There would be like if you were to zoom out and then zoom in on parts of the map, you could see where the enemies were coming from because they would run at you in lines. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you just had to hope you're ready for it because uh, they outnumbered you in a big way. Your your four man team against like sometimes twenty Many. thirty operatives. Yeah. Um, and it could get pretty messy. Uh. So that was, I mean, I don't know, I, part of the challenge of the game, but also like a messy, sort of complicated part of the game. Um, d- didn't make it any less endearing, and I 
did play the original game to completion. I did not play the expansion uh, to completion because those missions were tough. Really, really tough. I don't know if you ever played the expansion, Stu, but uh, mm-hmm. American Revolt was a very tough version of the game. Um, so we, yeah. Uh, what what's this next part? Oh, right. What did we learn from it? <laughs> <laughs> um. So this is a funny, funny thing. Like this was definitely one of the first times I ever, and I mean, this is going to be less academic. So sorry for anybody who was looking for something really juicy. Um, but like, this was the first time I ever encountered pausing in, in, in real time. Oh. Um, because like I'd been playing things like I think Warcraft and, uh, um, Dune, Dune 2. Oh, okay. Um, so Westwood's Dune 2. And like, it just, it wasn't a thing. Right, it wasn't something that you could do. I hadn't played XCOM, uh, Microprose's, Proses, Microprose, apostrophe XCOM. <laughs> no, yeah. I hadn't played that. Um, it wasn't something that I would even learn about until uh, it was well after its heyday. Uh, it was just sort of the funny nature of gaming. Like I just encountered the games that my dad or my uncle bought, um, and XCOM was never one of them. Yeah, but Syndicate was so. Um, yeah, that was a big thing. Um, learning to really, really value your your characters because they could die. That this was one of the first games that I had ever played where like permadeath was such a big deal. I mean, you know, you play you play arcade games and stuff like that where you die and then it's game over. But this was this was a long game right hours and hours of your life dedicated to playing this yeah game. you felt invested in some of those characters yeah it's just so yeah. if you lost them it was a, it was a big deal and i remember my initial playthrough there was one mission that was particularly difficult and i think i lost one or two characters and i had to replace them and i think it was about halfway or, or two-thirds of the way through the game and that was a tough decision because yeah. I'm like I never want to play that mission again but I lost two very important characters <laughs> and I had to start from scratch yeah. um, and that was that was very tough Did I don't remember offhand was Syndicate the game where you could carry even though like if one of your agents died as long as you carried their body out you could extract some of those cybernetic implants Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you could. You could. Uh, you could pick up everything. Um, I as lo- that's what I remember. You could pick up everything, or you could pick up all of their inventory. Um, but yeah, Still also cars. Yeah. Were, yeah, cars oh. were some of the deadliest, <laughs> deadliest weapons oh, yeah. in that game. Oh yeah, crossing the street um, was super dangerous. In that those game. those hover cars <laughs> were amazing. Oh. Um, yeah, in the early in the early game, if you saw the enemies coming, you jumped in a car. Um, but in the later game, when things like rocket launchers showed up, yeah. you were never in a vehicle nope. because it was the quickest way to die. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, what a game! Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, this was also sort of a uh, a collaborative thing. Um, we didn't have shared saves, but we we shared experiences with each other it took a really long time for my entire family so my my father my brother and myself to discover that you could manipulate your uh your your biochemical levels 
um, and your responsiveness oh. for your for your characters. Yeah. That was something that we didn't know you could do right away. And so then there were some particularly uh, difficult levels where enemies were just coming at you from angles you wouldn't even expect. And, like, you needed your operatives to be sharp and ready because you couldn't be. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you could slow down the game. You could just pause it. But that didn't that didn't mitigate how fast these, these uh, enemies were coming at you. So um, learning about those manipulations and learning that you could basically set your, your characters to auto kill was a, it was a very important thing, mm-hmm. but it took us, I would say either a few weeks or a few months to even figure out. And I, I think it's because we got the the game without the manual. I think, uh, this may have been an illicitly acquired version <laughs> of the game. Um, I see. I'm not saying, yeah. Uh, like, I don't remember if we actually had the, the discs or CD. I think we did, but I have no idea yeah. what happened to the manual. Yeah. Also, my brother, I love him, but my brother had this, he would just take manuals into the bathroom, like, and then you would just never see them again. That happened a lot, too. Like, it's not like he was eating them. He would just leave them in there, and then there'd be, like, stacks and stacks of them, <laughs> and you would never really know where anything was. Yeah. Because um, that's where that's, he read. Yeah. 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 You know, as one does. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of it for me. Um, it's it's just an interesting game. Like, it was... It was uh, it holds a special place in my heart, and I wanted to talk about it. But I just... Now that I am talking about it, I'm starting to feel like maybe it, it was just more valuable to me than anything whereas the actual lessons that I learned from it were a little bit shallow um yeah I I, I wasn't sure where the lessons learned aspect was gonna come from <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was more I just wanted to say hey I played, hey, I syndicate. played syndicate syndicate is fun and yeah it, it was a lot of fun uh I don't know I mean, it pre- it prepared me for games like the the future version of XCOM. Yeah, and uh, it was definitely like a stepping stone in that genre, uh, and I do actually sort of value that. Like, I understand the 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 value of really skilled operatives and how quickly they can die in games like XCOM and XCOM Two now. Yeah, so. yeah. Was there? I, I mean, there there wasn't as much to interact with on the like the global map the the kind of macro side of it but was there anything you pulled out of that part of the game um no it was sort of like uh that was just the vehicle to get you into the missions basically i mean there there was geography but it was like near future bullshit geography right um and all you really did was you selected you could maybe select tactically but at first you were railroaded yeah. there were like three places you had to go and then after you completed those three missions the world kind of opened up um i don't even know if you could go into the states for the first part i think the states was a no i think you could go all over the world um just took a bit yeah and they there was actually difficulty ratings for each level but the the game oh, also yeah. scaled with you, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Um, but no, I don't. I I'm having trouble. Like we're really sort of grasping at straws here. Um, I mean, it. Hmm. There was definitely some fun to be had, like going into a city level and just oh, persuading of all of the people to join your <laughs> oh, cause. God, like, yeah, yeah that was th- this persuadey thing would just be. I think of it like a taser, but instead of like electricity disabling you, it would it, it would was love. It, <laughs> it, it, it transmitted it, yeah, love. it transmitted love and made anyone decide to join your cause. So yeah, it was really cool. You could actually run around a big city level and just like amass a huge, useless army of civilians, and it, and the oh my god, the stuff the civilians would do once they were under oh, your control was super fun. Yeah. So you could you could actually like kind of do like flash mobs with, with civilians <laughs> yeah. and make them storm police police uh, stations and outposts and whatever guard posts. Yeah, once you persuaded them, here here's where things get interesting um, because there was like an inventory management thing that that occurred in the game, um, but like. Anything that joined your cause, so say you persuaded an enemy uh, or you persuaded any civilians, like once they were with you, they were openly in on whatever it was that you were doing. Yeah. And then they would just pick up weapons. Yeah. If if somebody died near you, they would pick that shit up and use it themselves. Yeah. So there was like occasionally times where I would have like a small group of civilians around one of my operatives. And they would just pick up shit like miniguns or rocket launchers. And I'm like, oh, God, no, I, I, I <laughs> You can maybe put that back down if you want. But the problem was once it was on them, it was on yeah. them. Like you couldn't manipulate their inventories. And so then I had to rethink because, because like lasers. Um, so if you got shot and stuff, not that big a deal. Uh, if you got shot and if you're indiv- like if your operatives get shot and killed no big deal um because they will drop all their stuff on the ground you can go and you can pick it up if your operatives get killed by laser beam or get killed by fire or explosion slash rockets um, no inventory they would disintegrate uh you would lose everything that was on them so either they would like burn and then fall into uh, a pile of dust or um in the case of lasers like like uh, Star Trek style disintegrate, yeah. <laughs> vaporize. Yeah. Um, so, like when a civilian would pick <clears throat> pick up one of those weapons, uh, that that got really concerning. And um, yeah, it's, even then, at that point, you're you can be considering well, what what is kind of uh, equipment does the enemy have right now, and how much of that do I actually want? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and that was a nice aspect of the the research option. Um, I mean, the research window was very very simple, but also for its time um, refreshing. Really good, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of similarities in this game with XCOM. Yeah, um, Syndicate did predate except... it. It looks like okay, cool. By a That's by one know. year. Well, I would. Say, oh, sorry. I would say that the XCOM team probably saw a lot that they liked. And I'm pretty sure Bullfrog was uh, geographically similar location to Microprose. They were both UK-based, I think. 
Um, yeah, it was made by I'm Mythos. Sure yeah, yeah, I know Bullfrog was, and it looks like Mythos was responsible for the initial uh, UFO game. So, okay, cool. Um, right. So you know what? That's all I got. That's that's all I can think. Uh, was there anything you wanted to to bring up for Syndicate? Um, gosh, I'm I'm just I'm trying, but all I could say was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I don't know what I learned from it, other than be careful with with highly trained agents that are arguably irreplaceable. Um, yeah, it it was win- it was interesting. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. It was interesting. Like it it was sort of like a thinking man's shooty game. Um, sort of. Well, I, th- I think <laughs> I do think it belongs like, firmly in the tactics genre. I d- that, so that, that like that makes sense to me. Yeah, but it it was still like th- there were just times where it was absolute chaos. It didn't matter how much planning you had. Oh yeah, uh, you just had to every, hope that you yeah, were in the right position. Every now and then, shit went down. Yeah, and you just deal with it. Yeah. Okay, well that's that's all I got then. So let's uh, yeah. let's shift into your your game. What, what did you bring to the table? <laughs> so my game. <laughs> oh dear, I maybe should have uh, should have picked something a little bit a little bit more to it. Then um, I'm going to talk about Death Rally. So yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> It, it was actually remade recently, like within the last five years or so, I think. But uh, originally, it came out on DOS in 1996. It was made by Remedy, who are probably best known for the Max Payne series, which were which was great. Um, but but Death Rally was a racing game, a top-down view. Uh, but instead of just normal racing, it was your cars had like guns and mines and shit. So you, the gameplay revolved around winning a race, either by being the first to do four or five or six laps around the racetrack, or by being the last person alive in the racetrack. Either way is suitable. So the premise of the game is you're a new racer in this fancy circuit you start at the bottom of the leaderboard you want to get to the top once you're at the top you get challenged by the adversary who's this big bad dude who has a car that's the boss car and then if you beat him you win so that's that's that you start with a little piece of shit car and then you can slowly buy new cars which are better and better every car can be upgraded either engines tires armor or probably something else um and every match, you could go to the black market and get spikes for your bumpers or mines or rocket fuel or something else. Or you could sabotage other racers. <clears throat> then you would pick one of three different racetracks. <clears throat> so there were a bunch of different random tracks. And the races would be categorized as easy, medium, hard. And the rewards would be you know, proportionate to the difficulty. You would get points that would move you up the leaderboard and different amounts of money for placing for second, third in those races. So you just start it with a piece of junk and you hop into some easy matches and you hope that you don't get blown up and that somebody else blows up and then you can place. Or maybe you're really good and you can actually outrace people for a little while. 
Or maybe you're going to be greedy and try and blow everybody else up because then you get more money. And it just kind of slowly escalates from there. Uh, occasionally you will be given a challenge to do in a race. Someone will come up to you before the race and say, hey, 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 if you do this other special thing, like pick up an item in the race, or specifically target and blow up a specific driver, then you would get cash rewards as well. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, the, the mechanics themselves are pretty simple. Just kind of drive forward. There was, I think there was a very slow reverse that nobody ever really wanted to use. You had limited ammunition for your gun, which would change depending on what vehicle you had. Um, you had mines. You had your nitro, which could be upgraded to make you go even faster. So it was a super boost or a super duper boost, which also had a, a limited amount that you could use. And, and that was it. So there were a bunch of different tracks. Go around, be fast, blow people up. There were also civilians on the side. I don't know if, I think Carmageddon came out before Death Rally. And I, I think this is just something that they wanted to include from the Carmageddon games, where there, there are just civilians standing along the side of, of the track in this grotesquely brutal race with cars with guns and you just you can run them over and gun them down because that was it and then you would turn a little happy jeans and t-shirt wearing sprite into a little red splat which is too bad for that splat <laughs> no incentive for it or anything is just a thing you know what I do actually remember this game. Um, <laughs> one of our one of our friends had it. Um, mm -hmm. We never got into it, but uh, yeah, I, I do remember it. Like it's it it, it looks like it has <laughs> almost a similar aesthetic to uh, GTA, but like was literally about racing, not about the crazy mayhem of the original yeah. top down GTA. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean. Once you got to be really good or really knew what you were doing or were playing on an easy difficulty, between the mines and the sabotage and the bumper spikes, you could pretty reliably destroy every other vehicle in the race. So it... I don't know. I, I Part of me hesitates to call it strictly a racing game. When you're starting to get into it, or you're new at it, or whatever. It There is definitely a racing element to it. At some point, though, you just start blowing shit up. It's just easier. Pays more. It's bound to happen. I mean, <laughs> give a kid a car versus give a kid a car with guns. What do you think is going to happen? Um, responsible decisions okay okay <laughs> weird um but uh okay yeah um cool so pros cons and what did you learn um well the i th i th don't remember if they actually had a shareware or freeware release at some point um but I, I don't think that really matters um pros and cons it was a ton of fun it was an approachable racing game and in a time when, I, I don't know, the, there weren't many top-down racing games. For some reason, they always held a little soft spot in my heart. 
I, I don't know why, but top-down racing games are just fun, like Rock and Roll Racing or Iron Man or Death Rally. Just, like, I'm not a huge fan of racing games in general. I don't understand why I like these games so much more. No idea. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I don't get it. Um, cons, eh, it actually was a pretty solid game. I mean, it it's dated, the graphics and sound and whatever. Mechanically, it was a little bit frustrating. You kind of had to take chances. Like I said, if you're really good, you could blow people up all the time. Um, right. Uh, it was not that good. I would try to blow people <laughs> up all the time, <laughs> which would result in me blowing up some of the time. Yeah. Uh, or just not placing in the race properly or, you know, the, the the other guys get mines and you're not banking on it and suddenly you're exploding way faster than you should. Or you bite off more than you can chew. You have an okay car and you go into one of the hard races and then the a, the, the random race racer picker thing decides that oh the top three guys are going to race against you this time so they're just going to annihilate you they're not only going to take off so fast you can't even see them while you're racing they're going to lap you and while they're lapping you they're going to blow you up so have fun with that (laughs) (laughs) nice So, so that i mean that kind of thing could happen uh it definitely the repairing your vehicle and upgrading it versus getting the next tier of vehicle there, there, there was an element of risk reward or or putting up i just i like risk reward for everything an element of, of right. longer term gratification i guess of just just like holding out you you could get that good that that next car now but if you just win one more hard race you can get the car after that so just hold out and wait for it, right? Because the return, the trade-in for the vehicles that you have is garbage, of course, because, man, once they're off the lot, they're just, they're not worth much. Mm-hmm. So th- there was an aspect to that too, or, or trying to save up, or, you know, if you just, if you come in f- first, you can get the next car. Or if you come in first and also blow everybody up, then you could afford two better cars, or a car that's two ranks higher. So do you sink a bunch of money investing in the black market items for this race and get the mines and the fuel and the spikes and all that shit or do you just play it safe like there was there was a lot of small decision making though i i think a little bit more impactful than syndicate's global map yeah but the core mechanics really did revolve around the races i i don't think there was a turn uh, or a, a timer it didn't matter how long it took you to top the leaderboard. So if you lost races, as long as you had enough money to uh, repair your car and not be dead, like not completely <laughs> run out of money, uh, yeah. you'd be fine. Like there, there was no real rush. There was no uh, no sense of urgency to topping the leaderboard. You just kind of do it at your own pace and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So that was nice for exploring difficulty as well if one difficulty was too easy you could crank it up and just it would take you longer to get through the game then you would lose some races and you just i don't know kind of accept that and roll with it Uh, another pro would be uh, it was it was the apogee guys who did it so like duke nukem is in there 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Fine. yeah, go Duke Nukem. Um, there's some other weird, like actor and actress spoof names. Um, I don't know, nothing, nothing super extravagant <laughs> other than that. Okay, did you play this a lot with your friends? Did it have a multiplayer component? Uh, I don't think it did have multiplayer. I think it was just single player. The split screen probably would have been really, really rough, and I, I yeah. don't, I don't. I think I knew anybody else. I was thinking it. more land than anything. Yeah, right? I, we never did any land with this, for sure, um, and nothing over the modem. I'm I'm not actually sure what it had for multiplayer. It it's apparently had multiplayer. I just don't know what it was. Um, yeah, I'm thinking probably split screen and maybe direct link slash land. I love those. The direct link games were always very interesting, like the the big fat cable between <laughs> two computers. Yeah. And the cable was never quite long enough. Well, yeah, that we uh, that was how we played a lot of games together, or against each other. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I don't think there's uh, I don't think there's much else I can really say about it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, I guess I we're pe- just having yeah, one of those episodes. Yeah, I I had I had some news, and then I picked a flop game, and that's. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of how it is. No, we both. Yeah, we both kind of did. Uh, I'm gonna have to gonna have to bring our A games. Yeah. Uh, next week, well, I've like there were games I was like I would, I want to talk about this, but I don't want to talk about it this soon in the show. I want to um, feel prepped for for a couple of the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know. We're still coming down off of the uh, the Magic the Gathering. Yeah. So which was rock solid. So, yeah. So it's gonna be. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> quality Q- QA QA's on it. <laughs> we will pick games. We will pick good games uh, moving forward. Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. weird because both these games are kind of from the same area, same same time. Yeah, it's it's similar time frame. It's just like what's weird is there's no for me. It, I feel almost isolated because there was no conversation about this game amongst my friends it was just something i did on my own Hmm. with my family uh and we really just sort of engaged with it when we played it and watched each other play it and it wasn't the same kind of excitement and fervor that you would get from like a really popular nintendo game where you could go and talk about it on the playground um which is leading me to believe that i've actually got to talk about that jrpg that i wanted to talk about yeah um <laughs> yeah. at some point i'm i'm guessing that episode 27 it's is probably gonna, gonna be, be that. that episode yeah. um but yeah this this was one of those games where so much of the play was personal and individual um and it sounds like that was the case for death rally or yeah death rally yeah. for you so, huh, yeah, hmm, okay, well, hey, let's uh, let's jump into the next section, which is going to be equally sad. <laughs> it is what we learned uh, from you. So um, for anybody uh, out there paying attention, uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's what we learned from you or what can you teach us. Uh, send us an email. Yeah. <laughs> send us an email sometime at www.learnfromgaming.com. 
that's our that's not our email that's our website and mm. uh well that's our website which hopefully has our email on it which is learn from gaming podcast at gmail.com <laughs> uh feel free to send us an email and uh we'll read it out loud it doesn't matter what's in it we just like getting emails because uh yeah <laughs> it's something we like i know sometimes it can be a little disorienting uh because our shows come out like months after we record them but uh any email is appreciated yeah. so please please we send do them get in. to them we do we do um actually we get to them pretty quickly from reception you just don't hear yeah. them yeah, we, yeah you just don't hear them for a while um Okay, so then we can probably jump into our next section, which I think might be a little meatier. Um, Sounds like. Which, which is what we've been playing. Yep. So, Stu, I've been playing a lot of stuff. Um, well, well, what have you been let's playing? Let's hear about your lot of stuff, then. Y- you want me to go yeah. first? Are you sure? Okay, well, I want to ask, how many games have you been playing th- before I start saying what I've been Actually, playing? Actually, a few. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so what have I been playing? Uh, Monster Hunter World, I got to the soft end of that game with uh, with the help of oh. my brother and his friend Tim. Nice. Um, and when I say soft, I mean that game really does have a soft ending in that it wants you to keep playing even after you win. Um, uh, okay. So there are, like, extra monsters that start to show up after you win, but there's this, uh, this big bad at the end called Xenoshiva, which is this enormous um, luminescent like beam shooting monster like uh one of the highest level bahamuts from uh final fantasy 7 summon like just might melt the world yeah. uh sort sort of bad guy um and uh yeah we fought him and we killed him and it was a lot of fun uh, <laughs> and now we can just keep doing that so uh yeah definitely definitely digging um, Monster Hunter World, and I expect I'm just going to keep playing it, at least for the immediate future. Uh, for all the reasons that I described in the episode about Monster Hunter World. So, definitely go back and check that out if you want to know why I like Monster Hunter World so much and what it is that I'm taking out of it. So, next game that I've been playing is uh, Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Edition. I just burped into the mm-hmm. mic. Um, <laughs> so, um, Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Edition didn't do that to me, but it is one, two, three. I think it's like 12 different games on that. Uh, it's either 9 or 12 different games. I'm pretty sure it's 12. So, it's uh, the original Street Fighter, which is a horrible game, all of the Street Fighter 2s all of the Street Fighter Alphas, and all of the Street Fighter 3s. And it's funny to say all of them because Capcom was incredibly guilty of the Super Street Fighter 2, Ultra Turbo Street Fighter (laughs) 2. And so uh, that was a legacy that continued for both Alpha and for uh, Street Fighter 3. And... I had sort of like a weird experience buying this game. I bought this game uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I wanted to have easy access to all of the Street Fighters that I I loved uh, growing up. But I also secretly just wanted to get Street Fighter Alpha 3 again. But what I didn't realize when I bought this game was it is strictly the arcade releases. um, And Uh... one of the best versions of... 
Street Fighter Alpha 3 is on PlayStation, and the reason why it's so good is it has a bunch of additional characters, and it has like an RPG mode where you can level up your fighter, and that was really, really oh. enjoyable. Like that was a really interesting thing to add to a game, and you could actually level up your character to I think it was 60. Um, and you didn't get any takebacks, you couldn't respec, so you just had to focus on the stuff that you wanted to level. And once you did it, that's what you did, and that's uh, basically you you gained strength in the areas that you wanted to gain strength in by performing those actions in combat. So the stuff that you did in combat increased the ability of uh, of your moves. Um, and I remember I like super leveled. Um, one of my favorite characters and uh yeah yeah I, I would just like play my super super leveled character against my friends it was a real competitive thing it was interesting it was enjoyable um in no way balanced but the uh <laughs> if we ever wanted to do balance we would just turn off the leveling system and play regularly um but i really liked that version of the game and for some reason i thought maybe <laughs> it would be in this collection it was not and that was kind of sad. But still, having access to uh, 12 Street Fighter games is amazing. And they're all really good. And they're like solid ports. They play really well on the Switch. And I'm enjoying it. Hmm. So then, next, I've got Master of Eternity. And I don't know if we're going to talk very much about that. Because it's an embarrassing anime game. Um, <laughs> but it's a tactics game. Yeah. And I'm enjoying it. But it is also kind of a collecting pixies game <laughs> and i don't feel like if you want to know just look it's like this is it's it's not honey pop level gross but there is some stuff in that game that i'm just like i'm playing it because i enjoy the tactics and yeah. there's mechs mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and i like equipping mm -hmm. stuff um, and it has slowly just shifted to, yep. I want to get the next pixie. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't really enjoy talking about it because it reflects <laughs> badly on me. Um, so then also still playing Habitica. Oh, okay. Yep. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's still happening. <laughs> and lastly, lastly playing Stellaris. Yeah. And I am just trying to get to the end of a, a, a game. Of that and <laughs> I'm trying really hard yep. well no here's the thing like I'm having a hell of a great time uh, with all of the expansions on right now um, there is more than enough more than enough to keep me occupied for the entire game um, where there was just sort of an absence of mid uh, mid game play that doesn't exist anymore oh. uh, the, the way the way that they forced um, forced uh, specific types of space travel on everyone, so it's all space lanes now, right? So there's choke, yeah. choke points and all that yeah. stuff. You have to engage in diplomacy, either through uh, war okay. or through through like, okay, I need you to open your borders because I need to get out to to look at yeah. stuff. And if you don't, yeah, the game's gonna stagnate. But there are gonna be people around you that aren't gonna let that happen. Yeah. Also, the way that wars are waged now are very similar to Europa Universalis or um, kind of Crusader Kings, where uh, there are some factions that can sort of work around this. And I think, um, like, um, 
hive swarms, so like um, like crazy, mindless, killer, killy races, which you can play if you want, but it's kind of like playing at a disability because you have no social skills. Um, they they just get incredible benefits where they can just claim territories. But what you do is you have to basically declare Corvus Belle, um on on a territory if you want to capture it from an enemy. And that takes influence, galactic influence, which is a resource that you accrue slowly. Yeah. So you can do things that improve how fast your influence goes up. Um, And basically, like, again, it's just like it's a resource like anything else, but um, it it only, it's a really hard to acquire resource. Yeah. but you also use that to just expand your borders naturally and claim star systems naturally. Uh, but you can choose to make your race in such a way that um, it's cheaper to to do stuff like that during war, uh, things like that. You also have to officially declare war on someone. Um, I recently... Okay, so I'm playing the incredibly efficient... Um, but expensive to make robots that have a gestalt consciousness, which means they have a central core intelligence that they all share and they're hive minded. So all of their, like everything that happens, they all see it, they all live it. It all goes back to the central core, which processes it and relays orders. Um, I took over a dwarven, a space dwarf colony and they hated me because they were xenophobic, isolationist zealots so like uber religious so they hate machines hate soulless machines um incredibly paranoid so they hate anything alien um and then uh because they were like they're spiritualists they they believe that like because they believe in us like they hated me they 100 percent hated me um but i claim this territory i claim this planet and no matter what i did they were so unhappy. So then I was I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be the machine in this then. These are not efficient. These are not efficient populations on this planet. And I purged it. <laughs> um, and that has, and I love this system, um, that has longstanding effects. <laughs> Every single organic being in the universe responded. <laughs> had a guttural <laughs> response. There was this awesome like there was this awesome slumbering oh. AI in the corner that's just like we thought that your actions were efficient. Here, we'll upgrade your code. And then like they gave me the option to um to let them tinker with my code and actually what it did is it it reduced my productivity for a specific amount of time but then it, it actually made us better um it was really interesting yeah. uh, but also just such a side tangent everybody else in the universe was Livid. horrified <laughs> because I, not only did yeah. i kill them but i killed them with such efficiency and speed without a second thought that it was alien to everything else in the universe yeah. um because most other people have governments and systems in place that even if they want to pull that sort of genocide, it's really like hard. It's slow and it's yeah. difficult. Um, I I didn't have those moral uh, I didn't have those those moral uh, frameworks. Yeah. So I just did it, and it happened, and it was done. Um, and millions of space dwarves died in a single year. 
Uh, it was like it was nuts um, and horrible. And but I like that there's a system in place that is just like, yeah, you really shouldn't have done that. Um, and it's been about maybe 60 or 70 years since that happened. And people are just starting to forget it. Um, like there's still a tag on me. Uh, the because you can actually see the stats, yeah. like you can see the numbers, yeah. right? Um, and genocide. There's like genocide, and then in brackets the negative modifier. Yeah. Um, and it it gets better every year, and eventually it'll just disappear. Um, but I think that's a great deterrent. Um, it means that unless you're one of those like nasty, um, ravenous hordes that just uh, that just kills everything, and strips every every planet. Uh, which is really sort of an NPC role anyway. Like, if you're playing that, like, good luck, because everybody's going to hate you. You're really playing at a disability. But um, because, like, I play a consciousness that can make the decision and can engage intelligently with others, um, it was it was just interesting. But, it, it, it like, I just I love that those ramifications are built in. There's a lot of nice, crunchy stuff that's going on in the game now. Um even the sector stuff doesn't bug me anymore because I just hold on to the yeah. planets that I want to control yeah. and I let everything else run. Um, and, and it's nice. And I can still manipulate the stuff that's in those sectors because it's my territory and I'm ultimately the ruler of, of this uh, this uh, this uh, culture, yeah. right? But at, at the end of the day, I don't want to control the 200-something stars that I have, right? Like oh, I, yeah. I don't want to micromanage every single one. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I think we're getting close to the end game. There's uh, echoes of a, a significant crisis coming, but um, not all of the star systems are colonized yet. In fact, there was this huge bubble in the middle of nowhere that nobody was that nobody was even touching and my my uh science ships went out and were just they kept finding planet 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 um ancient civilization that is just slumbering planet 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 hideous dimensional creature that can't be <laughs> categorized planet planet yeah. planet planet and i was just like well there are all huh. these unclaimed planets i will go live there <laughs> so i sent this ship out and um Remember how I described that uh, that influence thing? Yeah. Um, I had to save like a thousand to start a colony wow. there. To start like to, to just claim a single star. So I did that and then it had a planet on it. So I colonized the planet right away and then I started building defenses like crazy. And then because I had an established colony and I had an established star base, I just ballooned out because I was a super efficient robot and had a bunch of resources at my my other base of operations yeah. which is this huge patch um, and it was a gamble that really paid off I just made sure that I uh, put defenses in a bunch of the choke points because uh, I'm bordering on marauders <laughs> like yeah. bandit marauders yeah. that people occasionally hire to try and kill me um <coughs> and nameless horrors and ancient civilizations but presently none of that has woken up and is trying to eat me and um, I'm one of the most successful and technologically advanced civilizations out there that just continues to get more and more efficient and more and more powerful so 
I feel like You're I'm gearing there. up for a win. Yeah. yeah. Until something big and horrible just yeah. bitch slaps me. <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, is half the fun in that game anyway. Yeah. And you know what? Like, it is just... It has been a really fun ride. Like, I have yeah. found myself playing this game when I shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, there was a really good YouTube series that recently got released and, and concluded, and it was the second season of the Stellaris YouTuber Wars, where you just sort of get to watch some oh, famous... Yeah. They're, uh, they're all European this time, I think, uh, YouTubers, um, just playing Stellaris uh, together. Um, and this this season had some nice twists and some definitely big fu moments for the organizer. He he pulls some, I would say, offside shit oh. <laughs> because he can basically activate um, the big bads in yeah. the game and control them. Uh. Which yeah, that that sucked <laughs> for everybody except for him. He seemed to have a lot of fun being a prick. Um, it's like a bad but, like a bad uh, DM. Yeah, actually, literally, the DM that wants to TPK, yeah. um, that like lives for yeah. it. So that that, that it was interesting to watch, yeah. though. It was it was interesting to watch. So that that was a fun series. So I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, Stellaris, still so up my alley. I am so surprised that other people aren't playing it. But yeah. I think other people have spent more than enough time playing it. Whereas I I didn't really get a lot of time to. Um, and the, the expansions have really built it yeah. out. Like, it's a shame that it costs so much money to get all of the expansions, but I mean, stuff is on sale now cause it's almost a three year old game. Um, really? It yeah, fe- yeah, it's been out for it a while. feels so much newer than that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like every single expansion that I've picked up has been worth it for the most part, except for the aesthetic ones. The, and the aesthetic oh, ones okay. you can just, uh. Like the 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 plant ones or the additional humanoid ones, like you can just pick them up on the cheap when they're on sale, not a big deal. Like it's the content ones that are the most important, or the story ones that really sort of breathe life life into the game. And I am still, especially after the uh, the YouTuber war uh, videos, I am still convinced that that game is incredible for multiplayer. I just have no empirical way of proving it. Yeah. Like I just I need to. I need to somehow magically get a bunch of people in a room playing at it at the same on, time, f- like for like yeah, for a weekend yeah. basically, because that's how long it would take. Yeah, and that yeah, it is a big commitment. I think that's the biggest that's the biggest reason why it's hard to get a multiplayer thing going. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, because it's real time. Right? Yeah, it, you can't uh, do time passes in real time. You can't do the turn based thing like with with games of Civ Six and like email, the old email save thing. No. Yeah. No. Doesn't work. Nope. That's all I got. Uh, someday I will actually do a full episode on Stellaris oh, yeah. and what I've learned I from it so. because there is a lot of shit going on in that game and it's really good. Yep. I'm actually I'm excited to play a different race. Um, yeah. I'm gonna play I'm gonna play the robots to completion, but I wanna play organic again, or I wanna play robots that actually have personality and have a regular government. So like imagine just synthetics but religious. With like just like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Um because you that's an option too. You can choose to have robots that are just like everybody else in terms of like feelings, emotions, stuff like yeah. that. That can establish governments, um, instead of just like the single automated core. Yeah. Um, or the hive mind, if you will. Um, 
and I'm I'm interested in that because I'm actually kind of attached to to playing machines. Like I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. that. Um, playing organics. This is I'm starting to sound weird, <laughs> but playing playing organic races isn't as appealing to me anymore. Like I just I I I bought the robot expansion. I've just really it's appealed to me in a way that playing like regular organics just doesn't. I'm so done so, with humans. God. I mean, the other option is you can play a race that uh, is organic but starts with robot helpers. Oh. So then you, you have That'd access to robots right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So there. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Yeah, see. Hmm. Um, okay, so, okay. yeah, that's all I got. What have you been All right. I, I, uh, I booted up Salt and Sanctuary and played it for a wee little bit. Oh, just. It couldn't get into it again. Just long enough to get pissed <laughs> just at the game. <laughs> long enough to go. Oh yeah, yeah, I suck. All right, shut it down. Yeah. Uh, a couple like risk of rain runs for giggles. Um, I I still occasionally bounce into Hexels, little puzzler. Okay. It's like Minesweeper on crack. Just it's a nice yeah. wind down game for me or way to like listen to something and and keep the brain occupied. Uh, I actually have played more Smite in the last week, I think, than the previous two months combined, which okay, has been cool. really, really neat. Uh, skill fade is a real thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yep. I, For it, any MOBA, but especially it, Smite, it, because it's uh, it's skill based. It, it's so fascinating because uh, I have a harder time carrying with the the gods that I was mediocre with before, so I I can't jump into any role and just shit kick people. Uh, but the gods that I used to be really comfortable and really good with, there's just, like, that click is still there with some of those. I don't know how much of that's just muscle memory or neuron pathway memory or whatever, but it, it's fascinating that some aspects of it rust so much more quickly than others. And it, it's yeah. weird the way those details work. Um, but I've also been playing a bunch of tabletop simulator. Okay. So, it's basically just a nice way to play board games with people from a distance. From oh, that's yeah, nice, actually, so you get to yeah. play board games, but you don't have to wear pants. It's awesome. That does sound awesome, right? So yeah. I I don't remember if we were playing Robinson Crusoe yet last time. I don't know if I've talked about it or not. Um, but we did some Robinson Crusoe, which has been good, and we recently jumped into Spirit Island. They're both board games that you could talk a lot about, both of them. They're both fun. They're both different. They're both co-op. They're both... Yeah, they're both good. Um, so, th- th- yeah, cool. that's that's taken a bunch of my time as well. Um, okay, cool. Oh, right. And the other thing I wanted to mention, I haven't played it again, just... I end up listening to a lot of LPs because that's how my life goes. Right, a lot of YouTube. Let's yeah, go. so recently I chunked through a bunch of the Space Quest series done by... Oh, God. Yeah. Why? What do you mean, why? <laughs> Dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover Space Quest at some point in this thing. Oh, good yeah. for you. <laughs> Maybe I'll do the, the whole series in one. Learning how to verb. <laughs> okay some of them uh, they got away from the text parsing at some point and there's actually wasn't too bad yeah. to be to be fair the later <laughs> you would one would be one of the few that agree you would oh, yeah. be one, one of the few that feels one that and way. two were 
as bad as any other. I think three picked it up a little. Three has a special place in my memory, and I do enjoy three because I completed it, but I don't think I'd ever want to go back oh, to it. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't play it. I just listened to it. It was great. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have to wrestle with anyone. But it was also done by um, uh, the Space Quest Historian. I'll, I'll ship a link to you. Okay. Uh, so it, but he's like an old, avid Space Quest dude. He's forgotten more about Space Quest than probably most people ever want to know. So it was. Yep. It was really. It's neat to see those games played again, uh, from the perspective of an expert, I guess, and and to not have to wrestle with puzzles. You know, you know, you know how to do everything, and being so familiar with the games and the companies and the development process, you, you can learn a lot more about the development process and and. I guess each individual game by itself and how it fits into the series and just like small nuggets of trivia, that kind of stuff can make those games a lot more interesting too. I don't know. It was, I, I was, I was delightfully surprised. I thought it was going to be something that I would put on and kind of trance through and not pay attention to at all. Uh, and I actually was delightfully entertained. So there we go. That's, that's, that's my last thing. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I was like coughing and I <laughs> muted my, and now it's not muted yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, That's too bad. Hmm. So I guess I'm going to have to boot up Stellaris again. As um, if I have time for that. I would, I would encourage you to, um, maybe sit on it until you can grab like all the uh expansions DLCs on the cheap. Super cheap yeah um that last one uh it was another story pack the story packs really have made like exploring the universe a lot more interesting yeah um, and then it's the future there the future improvements uh that came out with uh, i think apocalypse which has the uh uh, the really big, like the mega weapons and stuff, like you can actually destroy worlds now. Um, yeah, but also just the the regular feature changes. So the the um, faster than light travel has been uh, yeah. altered. Yeah. I mean, you can still research the, the possibility of doing yeah the other the other options. Those still exist, um, and that's really cool that that's an option that you can come to because if you get to a point where it's like, okay. I have no way to get past this guy. He's closed his borders. We can't talk, and I don't want to go to war with him right now. Um, you start researching sublight so that you can just bounce like either over him or around him. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting. Um, like I really like that that's an option. Uh, and it also really fucks things up late game <laughs> because you, you're like you're building to protect choke points when eventually what's going to happen is you you should be building to just protect the most important parts of your empire um, because everything else could just crumble around you. You just you want to have bastions of security um, instead of just choke points. Uh, yeah, man, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Um, maybe someday in the impossible future we can try, try to play multiplayer with yeah. that. Get a few people, get a few people on that. That'd be interesting. Um, cool. So I, I think we're winding down. Are we winding down now? Is that what's happening? 
Um, I think so. Okay. Um, well then... Um, I want to say thank you, the listener, for <laughs> sitting through that. Um, we, we hope that you have enjoyed yourselves. And uh, Stu, do you have anything you wanted to plug quick before we go? Um, kind of did that with Space Quest Historian. Check out OpenAI. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that's it right now. Okay. Um, I've got a few sort of weird plugs. Um, I wanted to plug... Sid Bolton. Uh, now, Sid Bolton, uh, he was the creator of the Personal Computer Museum uh, that was here in Ontario. And, I mean, not a lot of people visited, or well, I don't know how many people visited, but not a lot of people even realized it was there. Uh, the only reason I knew, knew about it was because um, he collaborated uh, with, um, with Fred on Gaming History 101 uh, more than once. Now, uh, the thing to know about Sid is he recently passed away um, and I know that the museum has been closed for a little bit I'm not sure if it will open again I'm not really interested in contacting his wife to find out um, <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping that the assets from that museum uh, get acquired and put into uh, like another museum maybe maybe it changes locations or something like that but it was a very cool thing that I just kind of put off seeing um, that I'm hoping uh, has the option to to uh, to be explored again so that was the per personal computer museum I think it's in Cambridge uh, no sorry Brant Brant Brantford's yeah Never Brantford <laughs> um which means it's closer to you than it is to yeah. me, Stu. Um, but I bet you also didn't know that it was No, I did not. Um, yeah, really cool. So it had uh, Apple, Atari, Amiga, Commodore, Macintosh, uh, a bunch of Radio Shack, um, just sort of paraphernalia and um, ephemera. So like advertisements and goofy stuff like yeah. that. Same thing with Xerox. Xerox there was Coleco stuff, a uh, bunch of old Dell and IBM stuff as well. Um and then, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you brought it all the way into present day. Uh, they were going to do a virtual reality event, but it got canceled because um, actually Sid passed away during E3. Uh, he, he wasn't there, but it was during the week of E3, so very recently. Um, mm. So there was that. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, cool dude doing a cool thing taken way way too soon uh, i think he was in uh i think his early 40s so bummer yeah um but i also want to thank as we close off i would like to thank dimitri for our music joe for our art um and uh yeah just uh i'm just gonna say enjoy the time while you got it um if you want to do something great like what Sid did, go right ahead. Like start build, start building your museum for Nintendo or for whatever. Um, just uh, you know, just love what you love, and uh, you'd be amazed what you can learn from it. So, if you want to learn more about us, um, we do have a website which I provided earlier. It's www.learnfromgaming.com. Um, and we are also on a bunch of different social media. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. 
that's really it. <laughs> Facebook and we're, we're on Twitter. Um, but uh, if you want to listen to us, you've got a bunch of options. Uh, I figure you've already discovered one uh, <laughs> because if you can hear this, then you did it. Um, but we're also on iTunes. Uh, we're on Google Play, uh, which means that we're on a bunch of different stuff. And if you just walk up to a, uh, um, a Google Home, uh, they will play our episodes for you, which is super yeah. cool. Um, and other than that, uh, I think we're just going to close this baby down. So Stu, thank you for joining me. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. And, um, yeah, everybody else, hope you enjoyed yourselves and be good. Don't swat each other. Yeah. Don't swat each other. Jesus Christ. (laughs) 